Welcome, everybody, to another edition of uh, the Bangers and Classics podcast. Uh, that's with me, James Ruppert, and him, David Malloy. Um, how are things going, David? Not too bad, thanks. Uh, I'm currently hiding, I have to say, James, after making a quip in last week's podcast about my better half. She hasn't heard it yet, but I'm a bit concerned that she might, because let's face it, the Geneva Convention does not apply to marriages. Absolutely not. But that apart, everything's okay. Just been plowing away doing various bits and bobs. You know, skulking around, making plans and then changing plans. And, you know, you know what it's like. Absolutely. Yeah, I was very lucky. I saw um, a very new uh, looking uh, MGB GT. Um, it was in white, where it's sort of the off-white uh, colour, mm. uh, which British Leyland had. And it really looked as though it had just uh, driven out, out of the showroom. Uh, a lady was driving it. Uh, there, there are occasions when you need to know a lot more, but I didn't take a picture because <laughs> I, I thought I thought it'd be a bit creepy. Um, and I might have got away with it because I because I was in my old lorry, the Land Rover, so so I got away with just being um, uh, an interested sort of classic car person. But it was magnificent to see because it was full of shopping in the back. So it's an MGB GT doing what it right. does best, which is uh, you know behaving like a uh, a hatchback. But it just really did look, and I know there's a lot of people, um, you know, don't like MGBs. Uh, but an MGB G- GT really is a, you know, a, a, a really a pretty little car, and, mm. uh, and this one was so brand new. I mean, it really, you know, the the problem was she hadn't dressed a- appropriately, and that was why I, I wanted oh. to storm over and tell her off because she was dressed far too modern. Well, basically, she needed to dress like Emma Peel, really, uh, in order to carry it off. Um, Could she so- have carried that look off, though? That's a big question. Um, well, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we've been talking about wives and, uh, you know, my wife might listen, listen, listen to this, but yes, actually she, she might've done. Um, but, uh, yeah, she was just, just, just dressed a tiny bit too modern. Uh, but yeah, it was full of Waitrose shopping. Uh, it looked as though it just driven out of mm. uh, a man, uh, Egerton showroom. And it was, it's one of those things that, uh, it's very true that a, a classic, a really nice classic sort of raises, you know, it sort of cheers you up. It, you know, you, you really do, you know, get a, a lovely push to, to the day when you see some, something like that. It's so joyful. So that was, uh, a good bit for me anyway, seeing uh, uh-huh. an MGB GT. Well, you see, you should have bought that Chrysler PT Cruiser like I suggested. You know, get your guitar in the back, mm-hmm. drive it along, pull up, give me all your loving blasting, you know, yeah. and you, you never know your luck might have been in. That's not that, well, that wouldn't be a message that I could possibly endorse. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's getting deleted anyway. Uh, I hope um, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, perhaps. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Yes. No, MGB GT, yeah. There's a, there's a black MGB GT. It's a rubber bumper version. Um, somebody in Alloway, which is a suburb of air, has got, and I often see it when I'm driving through there, parked outside his garage. It's uh, even got its private MGB number plate. And I have to say, it, it too is in absolutely excellent condition. And there's a debate in itself. The old chrome bumpers against the later rubber bumper models. Which do you favour? Yeah, that used to be quite a big thing. Mm, uh, it was. Yeah, people used to sort of agonise over that and uh, be very offended by it and tell you the ride height was dreadful and all sorts of things like that. Uh, you know, it's sort of each to their own, really, um, in that they had to have those in order to be exported to to the United States so that you could hit someone at five miles an hour and uh, walk away, um, which is which is daft. And uh, but actually, it was it was probably the the only sort of significant update, wasn't it, that the MGB ever got in 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 basically its whole career? They're not going. 
don't go from a three bearing engine to a five yeah, bearing engine. Yeah, they did do that, but hmm. yeah, they did do that. And there was the MGC and there was the V8 yeah. and stuff like that. But it was all variations on a theme. So, so it was, it was the only restyle that it uh, effectively got. And in yeah. a way, it was sort of saying, yeah, leave well alone, really. But it was something that BL had to do in order to export rather than redesign it, yeah. which is maybe something that they should have done, but who knows. I um, actually have to say, this is going to be controversial to some people. I prefer the later ones with the rubber bumpers. Probably because I'm a child of the 70s rather than the 60s. Mm. No, but, that's right. Um, that looks more familiar to me. The increase in right height is a problem. It was a problem with them. It wasn't so much the bumpers, but they're obviously mm. raising the, the right height by an inch, I think it was, did affect the handling. But there's a solution to that. You drop it back down an inch. Yeah. And there you go. Um, the rubber bumpers are probably easier to maintain, <clears throat> for one thing, but I think they look quite good too. And this one, as I say, that I see in Allery quite a bit, is black with the black rubber bumpers. It looks great. You know, it's... I don't know why you wouldn't like it. Um, the MGBs are okay to drive. They're not wonderful to drive, but they never were. They're, no, decent, they they're decent, honest sports cars. And yeah, they do put a smile on your face if you see one. And to an extent, they put a smile on your face if you drive one. What's, what's right. not to you like? Do, well, exactly. You, you just have to have shares in back to black. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you don't use that. Use peanut butter, James. Oh, okay. The peanut butter trick for the black work. Uh, never tried that. I've never tried that. If you sounds, if, if you that sounds see, like made up nonsense to me. That's <laughs> <laughs> it does work apparently on does seriously it? faded black work. Yeah. If you put it has to be smooth peanut butter, for God's sake, do not <laughs> use crunchy peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So shall we uh move on? Yeah. And well, what do we want to talk about first? Ooh. How about US cars? I remember James the days, and you still see it watching old US films, when the average American family car probably weighed about as much as an aircraft carrier, and you know the uh, hood, um, or the, the bonnet as, they, as we call it, sat in a different postcode from the boot, or as Americans call it, a trunk. I kind of miss those days. I don't know about you. I kind of miss those cars to a degree. Well, I miss them because those were American cars, whereas today there really aren't those sorts of American cars at all. They've all completely died off and people just drive very big Kias or they drive Audis or they drive Mercedes. I mean, they just drive what we drive, really, um, but they're just US spec. Uh, whereas, yeah, in the old days, I mean, those cars were just magnificent when it just came to design de- detail. They were just you know, absolutely wonderful to, you know, to actually look at. And for us... On this side of the pond, uh, it it really was like looking at uh, you know a completely different world, wasn't mm. it? I mean, th- these these cars just well they weren't but they weren't designed for our roads anyway, so they didn't they didn't really fit. And anyone who had one soon found that out. Um, but they were just they were just marvellous to to look at and made our cars look sort of fairly boring. Yeah. Um, I mean, they were hopeless to drive. I mean, they wallowed mm, like yeah. crazy. The hubcaps would fly off as soon as you went around a corner, but that didn't matter. There was a certain style about them. It probably comes from watching Hollywood films as a kid. That that's, Maybe that's why I like them so much. They're not similar. They're very dissimilar to the cars we grew up with in this country. And therefore, even though they're not necessarily particularly stylish, some of them, they're exotic. Extremely. I mean, in the, in the, yeah. I mean, to give you an example of one, you had the Lincoln Town Car. Now, you think Lincoln Town Car? Oh, must be a city car like a Smart or you know, maybe a Twingo. No. The 1981 Lincoln Town Car was 18 foot 3 long. Try getting that in your garage. And the other thing was, in the 70s, uh, they had engines that were huge but had absolutely no power. Um, I think the Lincoln Continental Mark IV had a 7.5 litre engine, which by about 1976 or so produced around about 200 horsepower. 
That was all. And this was to push a car along that weighed something like five and a half thousand pounds. It was crazy. I mean, that all came out from a couple of things, you know, the Clean Air Act of 1970 and the advent of the EPA in America and consequently emissions regulations. And of course, the fuel crisis of 1973. I think it was the fuel crisis that really brought about the end of these dinosaurs because um, fuel went up in price. The quality of fuel, I'm told, dropped and people were buying the cheaper, smaller, lighter, more economical cars. And that's where the likes of Toyota and Honda really got, you know, more than just a toehold. They got a very large foothold in the American market and they expanded it from there. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, I mean, there was also quite a weird uh, phenomenon of the uh, diesels in that they did fit diesel engines, actually, to some of those 1970s cars and they were sort of even worse really like v8 diesels that uh, i think were even more underpowered and slower and uh, worser than uh, the petrol one with all the um, smog equipment indeed so yeah so yeah it, it is the slow death of, of the car but we know the uh, peak time was really the 60s and the 70s um early 70s um and there's lots of sound effects uh, going on here um which you may or may not be able to hear this is, this is uh, for the bangers and classic movie i believe uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I've, yeah, we've, yeah, we've got a whole team out there doing um, a rainstorm at the moment. So uh, that, if you can hear anything, that's uh, that's about 35 people um, training um, all sorts of uh, fire hoses um, in Norfolkshire. Uh, so that's the... Careful so, not to flood the place, it's very flat. Well, exactly. Um, but it, yeah, that's the uh, pitter-patter of uh, tiny bits of rain. <laughs> uh, but also, I think for uh, men of our age and it really is men um it was also that you would um have a corgi car which was shaped like um uh you know uh, a chevrolet impala uh, you know or you know a, an oldsmobile cutlass or something and that really made you more interested and also yeah the observers books of cars as well um God, you yeah. and you would look at those and go wow you know, if I was in America, I could buy one of those, but I can't, mm. so I won't. I've got one that's sitting about four feet away from me, the 19, oh, really? yeah, 1976 one with the Esprit in the cover. Yeah, well, there uh, you go. They, they were fantastic books when you were a kid. Yeah, they were. And they, they still would be if they made them. I don't think they do anymore. No, they don't. Um, more as a pity because we've become, I think, familiarity does breed contempt in some some respects or perhaps it breeds apathy i think is more accurate and publications like that you know that contained lots of nuggets of information that's right um in one place were great but of course you've got the internet nowadays and yada 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 why bother buying a book well i'll give you a lot of reasons why buying a book's better but we'll not get into that it's another story for another day really well, that's yeah. right. But, you, but I mean, you could buy Ruppert's uh, Bang, Bangopedia, <laughs> and actually, there are lots of pictures there. And if you want to wander around car parks, ticking them off, um, I would suggest that's a very good pastime, and certainly to encourage younger people. You could buy that for all your nieces and nephews and, and children, and uh, they'll be in a much better place. Ah, we didn't tend to play the klaxon there before you said that. Yeah, oh, never mind. Uh, well, that's, that's all right. We'll, <laughs> let you off. we'll let you off with that one. Yes, bye, bye, Bangos. <laughs> <laughs> buy up its banger pdf yeah. <laughs> for, for god's sake please do <laughs> yeah. yes uh one last thing about american cars um obviously in the 60s early 70s you had great muscle cars you had the you know the ford mustang and obviously the dodge charger but by the time you got to the mid 70s something really bad happened again it's because of for the reasons i've mentioned before but at one time believe it or not the ford mustang was sold with an engine option which was a 4.9 liter v8 with an output of get this 140 horsepower what was the point 
You know, there's no, there's absolutely no point. And the, the, the styling reflected that. It went from an aggressive looking, you know, sharp pony car to just uber bland. Now, the Mustang has come back in recent years and you're getting more of a feel um, of the old style cars nowadays. But there was a horrible period when it was just basically a waste of metal. And that's, that's possibly being, even being kind to it there. But there we have it. And that somewhat dodgy bombshell will take a break. You're listening to the Bangers and Classics podcast with James Ruppert and David Malloy. Check out our website at www.bangersandclassics.com. Uh, welcome back. Uh, it's time for this week's banger or classic. And one of our listeners, Simon Moffat, has given us a few suggestions. And we're going to go with one of those, James. That's the Rover 200, the SD3, that came onto the market in 1984 and I think was current for about five or six years before being replaced by a superior model. Do you remember those cars, James? I do. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you can have a furious debate all day long about whether it's actually a Rover or not. And uh, it, it's it's rather a lot of Honda, but maybe it is a car that uh, was fairly essential at the time uh, to help rescue uh, what was a fairly terrible car company at the time with introduce some uh, uh, overdue reliability. Because uh, if you were around Ooh, at the time, controversial. Well, yeah, I, yeah, but yeah, I never owned one. I, I wonder if you did, David. No, but I had two as <laughs> company cars. Um, unlike Hyacinth's bouquet, I get the two one three. I was working as a solicitor. I was running a branch office at the time, and I was given an elderly. It was probably about four or five years old. It just looked elderly. It was decrepit. Two one three. A young woman reversed into it outside the Sheriff Court in Glasgow. Um, she was sitting in front of me at a junction, and you know, I was sitting there minding my own business. Her reversing lights came on. She engaged the reverse gear before engaging her brain, obviously. So I looked in the mirror to make sure that I could reverse. Um, didn't even have time to get the car into reverse and whack into the front of which she came. Her attitude was very, very poor, I have to say. Um, it was as poor as her judgment, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if she was now involved in politics. Anyway, that was one instant. The next one happened about three, four months later. I was coming back from another court, waiting at a roundabout. There was a constant stream of traffic coming on. I had the handbrake on simply because you know there was no prospect being able to enter the roundabout uh, for some time. And as I sat there, I could see in the mirror, there was a van coming. He's leaving us, breaking a bit late. And yeah, he did. Straight into the back of the car he came. And that was that. So now I had a truncated rover at both ends. Uh, It still ran though, James, and you could get into smaller parking spaces. So I suppose that was a boon. But uh, even my employers... uh you know, thought, well, we'd better from something better than that. So they gave me one with an automatic gearbox that was jammed in comedy mode. And they, oh, they, they tried to, I mean, this thing was terrible. Um, if you steered to the left, it would aim to the right. Um, the gearbox was hopeless. It, um, the speedo cable stopped working, which led to me getting my first and only speeding ticket. And to cap it all, I took it into the garage used by the firm, which was a real backstreet garage. But um, I left, took it there on a Friday, supposedly to get a new speedo cable, and picked it up on a Friday evening. They hadn't fitted the speedo cable. I said, ah, I'll be in on Monday, bring it back. Driving home, and there's a lorry in front of me. A, I think it was a tractor in front of me, actually. Pulled out to overtake it, nice long straight, and floored it in drive. And nothing much happened. And then a lorry pops into view coming the other way. Now, he's still quite some distance off, but the guy behind me had closed the gap 
between me and the tractor. So I couldn't pull back in. Um, so I had a hell of a time getting past this uh, without crashing into the oncoming lorry, which was getting very large in my windscreen. And suffice it to say that when I got home, I had to have several whiskies to steady my hands just enough to open the bottle of tranquilizer. So that's how bad it was. Went back into the garage on the Monday and I said, what the heck happened to this car? I put it into, you know, into kickdown. Nothing happened. Oh, we forgot to tell you, mate. We took the kickdown cable out. So, yeah, there's another episode, but one of them, I locked myself out of one on a freezing cold um, morning going to court one day in the middle of nowhere. But uh, I've to- I tell that story on the website somewhere. Um, suffice, it, suffice it to say, it, it's quite, it is actually quite humorous. Um, but the, and what I've written there is the absolute unvarnished truth. It did happen that way. So, yeah, uh, dreadful cars from my point of view. Um, definitely, definitely a banger. Oh, well, you know, I mean, what you've just described there, David, I, I, I would have thought is just some, some, you know, pretty terrible time in your personal history rather than the car actually being a bad car. Uh, but, no, uh, I'll give you another example. <laughs> um, I get broken into a couple of times as well, but I mean, they wouldn't even take the radio cassette out of it. They, they nicked some of my cassettes, left the radio cassette because it was so garbage. And then there was a night they actually moved, pushed out of the way and stole my own car, a Renault 1916 Valve. They didn't want the Rover. It was garbage. <laughs> so they broke into the house, nicked the keys for both, moved one of them out of the way and stole the one, st- stole the good one. So yeah, absolute garbage. Sorry, James. It's a banger. Oh, Okay. <laughs> brings back some bad memories yeah it does doesn't it goodness me a very that was a very dark uh, turning we took there um <laughs> i got the, i got i got the, the Renault back by the way they only oh, made oh, that, that's good they oh, made that about 15 miles and ran out of fuel um you know uh the, the police were very helpful not no okay well i'd like to say it's a classic because you just don't see them anymore it's, it's an extremely rare spot it's one of those disappeared cars but you would argue probably along with the morris marina and uh, uh Etel, that it's rightly rightly disappeared so uh, Ooh, no I, I, don't, I don't mind a marina compared compared to the over 200 it's it's, really? a, it's a gold-plated classic yeah <laughs> uh my experience of things was just so horrendous um you know <laughs> the magnet for trouble <laughs> Um, the number of parking tickets I got in that car as well. No other car that ever got parking tickets. Um, that one uh, just attracted them. You know, it was like most most to a flame, really. It was terrible. I didn't have to pay for them, fortunately, but that's not the point. Okay, it's a banger then. No, you can, James <laughs> thinks it's a classic. That, so you, it's okay. It's nice to disagree sometimes, James. Uh, uh, right, so, so we're, we're calling it a split decision, this one. Yeah, but you can go for banger because, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm basically in tears here, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> of laughter so uh, yeah. yeah yeah call yeah. it call it a bang <laughs> watch the fan meal coming from the over 200 owner yeah. society yeah. now sorry guys um yeah. I, I don't wish any harm in you or indeed your cars i just don't like them very much at all that's the that's about as fair as i can be you know keep them away from me and we'll be we'll be fine yeah. <laughs> anyway right and now with with that out of the way um, talking about things that didn't work, um, like such as the World War 200s I had, what about technology that we once had that went nowhere? Um, I'm thinking of things like the Amphicar, amphibious cars. Remember those, James? That was a thing, wasn't it, for a while? And, uh, yeah. a short time, yeah, in the yeah, 60s. That's right, and uh, very occasionally you could see somebody uh, 
driving around in those. Uh, didn't Mr. Dutton uh, make uh, a car that crossed the channel? I think my friend Colin no, Goodwin. I, I don't know. An Amphi car definitely crossed the channel. Yeah, an Amphi car did. Uh, and I think Colin Goodwin did a few years ago, a good few years ago now. And that was in a Dutton sort of uh, version of an Amphi car. But now, what was the name of that car again? Oh, I have no, I've no idea. I can't, I know the one I can't you mean. remember. But, I know uh, what you mean. But yeah, I mean, it is a shame, really, because yeah, then you don't have to go and buy a boat. Um, you know, you can just have a car that that is a boat, and there's something very attractive like that. And and just mm. think if it was if it was a plane as well, because those never take ta- those have never taken off. Right? <laughs> car no, <plane>. well, no. <laughs> although although there's a lot going on at the moment, there is actually a company, and because I did a uh, I did a story about it about two years ago. They keep bothering me, and they keep sort of saying, you know, it's coming soon. We're coming to Europe. It's uh, they're obviously based. Um, uh, uh, in in Silicon Valley, it's not real, um, is it? And it is, no, and I I'm trying to think of what the name of the company is, but they are, but they're convinced that they actually will have uh, a car that will uh, take off and land. And uh, obviously, I think they're mad, um, but uh, uh, I don't know whether it would um, ever happen. But uh, mm. it was quite quite interesting, and should have researched this a lot better because there used to be. It was a car that you could reverse into the wings and the um, uh, sort of engine. It was a rear engine sort of plane effects thing where you you lived on an estate where there was a runway, which does exist, um, doesn't it, in quite a few places. I think John Travolta's got a plane and a runway um, to his house or something. He's not got a Uh, Boeing 707 or something crazy like that. Yeah, something like that, isn't he? Yeah, I don't know whether he's been anywhere in the last few years. but I believe he is. He is a licensed commercial pilot, I believe. He is, yeah, absolutely. So Um, was Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, yeah, that is a a technology that seems to pass us by. But now all we seem to get are sort of pictures with people where they've they've just attached four or five drones to a chair. And uh, I think I saw that described as a a flying car the other day. And you think, well, no, it's not. It's a drone. (laughs) It's a drone attached to a chair. So uh, I think they're, they're quite liberal with it these days uh, yeah the actual description indeed well there was a flying car in the james bond film um the man with a golden gun mm. remember that yeah of course it wasn't really a flying car it was a model yeah that was the one who did the stunt the astro spiral yeah with uh amc i think it was a uh, was it a hornet or a matador i think it was a matador yeah. uh that did happen that was real ruined by a terrible sound effect uh but going back to the amphicar now here's a klaxon you can read about the amphicar in one of my books, the Ultimate Classic Car Quiz Book, which uh, isn't just a quiz book, it's got a lot of text as well. And I'll tell you a couple of facts about it. It was powered by Triumph Engines, believe it or not, um, ranging from 1147cc up to 1493cc and could do a maximum of seven knots in water and you steered by the wheels in both land and water. And here's one last little fact. Lyndon B. Johnson, who succeeded JFK as President of the US, owned an amphicar and on his property in Texas, he had a lake. And apparently, the story has it, that he was fond of taking people out for a spin in the amphicar and then just veering off into the lake without telling them it was amphibious. What a jeepster, eh? <laughs> yeah, I do remember uh, interviewing a man who uh, owned one and restored it. And I never got to have a go in it, unfortunately, because that would have been huge fun. But uh, oh. it, but, it, but it took him a- absolutely forever because... Uh, 
you know, there were just no parts for it at all and he had to fabricate parts it was just like yeah. the longest story ever told and obviously they were very rusty i think that was the major problem in that if you mm. if you own one about three years later it would fail the MOT because it was just rusty. Um, um, depends what you used it, I suppose. If you used it in fresh water, it wouldn't be so mm. bad. But there was there was a number of greasing points. I think it was something at like 14 or 17. Yeah. You had to grease immediately it came out of water. So it wasn't so practical from that sense. But if you used it in fresh water, it shouldn't, in theory, be too bad. Mm. Um, if you put it in the briny, though, different yeah. story. Um, talking of things um, that float, when I was a kid, when I was about 14, 15, I lived about 200 yards from the sea. I've told you this before, James, but not in the podcast. The people across the road from me had a Triumph Stag, which is irrelevant, but they did. What they also had was a hovercraft. And every summer, they would bring it out of the garage, jump in it, drive down the road, onto the beach and out to sea in it. And I sat, usually on the wall of you know, front wall of the house, or the garden rather, gazing longingly at this hovercraft. And not once did the rotten sods ever invite me to go out in it. How is that for sickening? That is actually quite terrible because technically um, you are actually going for a flight. Uh, exactly. Yes. Uh, because yeah, because you are because there is uh, you know a certain amount of air between you and uh, whatever your the surface that you're that, yeah. that you're crossing. I think it's, um, I think the skirts are on the surface, but mm. it's the hull of the vehicle yeah. that's lifted off. Because um, I have I have been the hovercraft since I crossed the channel uh, back in the days, the last days of the hovercraft crossing the channel, which should be about ninety eight ninety nine, and a wonderful experience. If you do get a chance to go on a hovercraft, take it. It's great fun. It is, yeah. I went in the um, middle 70s and it was on one of those huge car ones mm. and uh, my mother didn't like it. She called it a horror craft because I don't I think she felt very well. But they were absolutely huge because mm. it, it was like it was it was like 100 cars, wasn't it, that you could get on and it was like sitting in an aircraft, like a huge aircraft basically. Yeah. And uh, it was as noisy as anything But it's and you couldn't see a thing out of the window because there's uh, water everywhere. Um, and it was, yeah, I, I, I would agree if anybody gets an opportunity to ever go um, in a horror craft, uh, take it because it's, um, it's the best experience in the world, which is now denied to us. I don't think I you can do that anymore. I think you in can still go. Places, yeah. Isle of Wight, I think there's a service to the Isle of Wight. There used to be up until a few years ago anyway. There was a sister passenger horror craft, it was, ran uh, to the Isle of Wight. Um, you could check out that. Um, the large ones, the ones that used to cross the channel that you and I were on, long gone. One of them, I think, still exists at the Horrorcraft Museum. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't think they've got the funding to restore it. That's the big problem because it would be gorgeous to see that going again, see it flying again. Get it flying um, again, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. Yeah. But sadly, um, that leads on to another type of technology that failed, uh, rotary engines. Now, this was, again, it goes back to American cars and GM and, you know, the fuel crisis at General Motors was, of all the American firms, was the one that was most interested in having a rotary engine. And I believe the Corvette, a mid-engine Corvette, was powered by a rotary engine. And it got very close to making it into production. And indeed, I believe the prototype of that car, or one of the cars, uh, is now uh, owned in this is now in this country owned by or was owned by a chap called Tom Falconer who used to run or possibly still runs Claremont Corvettes and I think he used to have it on display. So, but yeah, the rotary engines themselves they're light, they are very smooth. Um, you know, they're compact. That's the great advantages of them. Only trouble is they drink fuel and the emissions are terrible and they never did quite solve those problems and there was a third problem that killed them back in the day in the RO80 that was the where to the rotor seal tips the NSU brought out the RO80 
um, 67 or 68, I think. One European car of the year. Gorgeous looking car for its time, well ahead of anything. And unfortunately, it bust the company because they had uh, massive warranty claims arising from damaged engines. And I think as we spoke about before, James, some people used to put Ford V4s in them instead. That was the big thing in that uh, if you're as old as me and you bought car magazines back, back back in the day, there was just it was just full of those. It was just full of them, you know, how to take how how to get rid of a row eighty engine and uh, put in a, a fantastically sophisticated um, Ford V four, which uh, the only thing going for it is, is is that it was tiny enough to fit. Yeah. But that oh. was a really big thing back. Back in the day, huge amount. That, uh, it's probably in Hot Car magazine that we talked about it last week. Probably, yeah, in Hot Car. They yeah. told you how to do it in yeah. uh, uh, in a weekend. Um, yeah, well, what's your Afghan coat on? Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. And yeah. your beard and sandals and calling yeah. everybody man. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I'm not dropping that one. Any magazine <laughs> called Hot Car has got to be staffed by people who dress and talk like that. It's just got to be. <laughs> it's the law. Um so there we have it. But yeah, rotary engines. I mean, they might make a comeback, James. And I believe Mazda are still working on them as yeah. range as range extending engines. Yeah, because they're very small and very smooth. That's right. Um, so for you know hybrid cars or EVs that have range extenders, the rotary might be suitable for that. So too might the gas turbine, but that's another story. That's right. Um, but yeah, they they didn't. Uh, my favorite come to anything and you know one of my favorite cars of all time was the citroen gs by rotor and came up with a rotary engine um much more expensive than a standard gs much more advanced brought it out in 1973 a month later yom kippur war starts then there's an oil embargo by a coalition of arab countries um aimed at countries that they felt were supporting israel which precipitated a global fuel crisis and the price of crude oil shot up and of course what happened then people stopped buying thirsty cars and Citroen get into bother because obviously they'd invested a lot of money in a company called Coldwater, which built, along with NSU, the Anawiti and the Bayrotor engines, went bust. Effectively, the French government had to bail them out, get Peugeot involved. Peugeot come along and say, hmm, we've got to cut some corners, get rid of that car. Bought as many of them back as they could, destroyed them, destroyed all the ones still in the production line and destroyed all the spares. So there's only a couple hundred left today. No, that's right, absolutely. I mean, you know, Mazda are to be... Um praised i think for mm. persisting uh with that tech technology and i think it's one of those things is that it's the trickle down ownership is that why you see uh, rx8s that you wouldn't touch with a barge pole is because they've gone down a few owners who really don't know how to look after cars or have yeah. them serviced properly so they end up as uh, undesirables which is a shame because something like the um, rx8 is uh, a fabulous looking car but, mm. it's, but it's amazing to look at the mazda range from the late 60s and the amount of engines that they put in they put it in very straightforward cars you know in 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 family uh you know saloons i can't i can't remember what the cosmos was the first one yeah that's right but but they you know but you, you could basically buy a family car which had a rotary engine in it and because it was made by them and it was a mazda engine uh it so uh, it worked <laughs> yeah. Well, the Citroen CX was going to have originally a triple rotor engine. Yeah. Uh, the engine was developed, it was tested, and of course, um, then things went pear shaped and the project was scrapped. But Mazda did benefit from a lot of the problems experienced by um, Coal Motor, uh, which, you know, obviously was NSU and Citroen, and they learned from that. And they, I mean, as you say, they did great work. They even actually won Le Mans with a rotary powered car. Mm. I think it was 1991, if memory serves me right. So they did as much. I think they took it as far as they could yeah. in this road application. Um, emissions were, and fuel economy were always going to be the big problems, and they never could quite solve those. Um, mm. 
And there's no discredit to Mazda that they didn't. I mean, they, they did some fantastic work. But uh, unfortunately, as a main power unit, the rotary engine is just not going to happen. Um, yeah, right. Actually, there was even a helicopter, uh, a rotary engine powered helicopter. Um, I think it was a co-motor engine again. There was Citroen and NSU came up with that. Um, I can't remember the details of it now, but it did fly. It did exist some time ago. It's maybe something worth checking out because, it's quite again, that's an interesting concept. Again, technological blind alley, but you know, blind alleys are sometimes the most interesting ones. I think we'll call that a day for this episode. Just like today, thank you very much for listening and goodbye from me. And uh, yes, it's a goodbye from me and uh, cheer everybody. See you next time. Indeed. Goodbye.